0: For the day of redemption, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Last week, we saw Paul calling his readers to a very important reality for the born-again Christian. That is that the Christian is to walk in the new life they were given, not the old life. And Paul, being very aware of Two truths about Christianity, about the Christian heart, is is that the first is that when a person is saved, they are completely justified. They are completely right with God. However, the Christian is often tempted to go back to old remedies that are now useless. So Paul tells the church here, the Christians... To put off their old ways, to put off the old ways that they practiced as non Christians, and to put on the new life that they have received from Christ. And one of the ways that they do this is by meditating on the things of God. They think about God, they contemplate God and then they practically apply what they have meditated on. But the question comes up, if we were to just stop there, well, what do we apply? Let's think about it like this before we get to that question. Have you ever played a game with no rules? If you have a child in here, you most likely probably have. (laughs) If you remember having children, or if you've played a game with a child, you most likely have. I love to play with my sons. However, one of my sons tends to, at times, bend the rules of the games we play. He likes to change and adapt them. So this tends to leave Sharice and I... Guessing what might be changed in order to kind of preemptively be ready for it. We're guessing. We're adapting. Oftentimes, we're even left confused. And dare I say, I get a bit frustrated. We feel left in the dark. because we just don't know quite how to play the game. It's important. It's important and helpful to have consistent rules to play by, isn't it? Just imagine what would happen to sports if there were no rules. As Kim lines up to hit his golf ball and he slices it into the woods, and he, he would be able to pull out his... Golf card and just put down birdie. If there were no rules, sports would be easy and I would just have a ton of trophies. But God doesn't keep us in the dark in what He expects of us, does He? God doesn't change the rules on us keeping us guessing or leaving us confused and frustrated, not knowing what to expect. He actually tells us in his word what it looks like to walk in the newness of life. He tells us in his word what exactly we've been called to and how we are to apply that. So for example when Paul tells us in the beginning of chapter 4 to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called to he shows us how we are to walk. He gives us hands-on guardrails. When Paul says to put on the new self because we were created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, he then goes on in our passage to show us and tell us what this looks like. You see, what Paul is doing for us this morning is showing us that because we are walking in newness of life, this is how we are to do it. Here, let me put it like this. Because of our new life, Christian, We walk in holiness. We obey God. We are seeing this morning a hands-on example, guardrails, of what it looks like to walk in the new life, to walk in holiness. It is a blessing that we do not have to guess on how to live. We don't have to wonder if God is going to change up the rules on us. God's Word shows us exactly what we are to do, including in how to walk in our new life as Christians. But before we start with the application, I think it's important to ask the question this morning, why? Why? Do I obey God? Have you ever asked that question or wondered, well, why do I obey God? This just seems to be the spirit of mankind. It's the spirit of mankind because it was the spirit of Adam and Eve. In our hearts, we want to make up the rules. We want to set the direction. We want to decide what to do, and what not to do. Professing Christians are just as guilty of this as anybody else. This is exactly why Paul, in this letter, is calling the church, he's calling Christians to walk in the new life, to put off their old self and to put on their new self, because Christians are tempted constantly to follow the wisdom of worldly wise rather than the wisdom of God. We watch a 10-minute video on YouTube. We look at a a three-minute long article and read it. We watch a 60-second TikTok, a 15-second Instagram reel, and we assume it's wise counsel what we're often tempted to do is to look at the culture in little sound bites and assume that it is wisdom. What it's really like is is we often function like a child who has just received wise counsel from their parents but doesn't listen. You know, because that one friend had a better, a quicker, a more efficient way to get the job done. So then why do I obey? Maybe if we, re, if we rewind the clock a little bit and we ask the question, why did Israel obey God? We'll find a helpful overlap and answer for our question, why do we obey God. So why did Israel obey God? Right before giving them the Ten Commandments, God tells them, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Here it is. The Lord delivered them from slavery. He rescued them. He pulled them out of the pit, pitiful state of being crushed, of being devalued and abused, and He freed them. The Egyptians, they did not love Israel, but instead they used Israel for their own profit and pleasure. But God, He rescued them and set them free. He told them that they would be His people and He would be their God. You see why Israel obeys God? Because in their helplessness, God rescues them. Did they deserve this rescuing? Did they do anything to contribute to this rescuing? No. God looked down upon them and had compassion for them and love for them, seeing them in their misery, and then rescues them. So then, why? Does the Christian obey God? Why do you obey God? Because God rescues us from our slavery. He rescues us from sin and the punishment of sin. He sees how we were enemies that were helpless being crushed by our addictions, devalued by what material things we have or don't have, abused sexually, physically, or verbally by stronger people. He saw us in our misery and our sorrowful state. And because He loved us, He rescues us. But this time, He doesn't rescue us by sending ten plagues. Instead, God comes in the form of a man and lives a perfect and spotless life. He is crushed, devalued, and abused by us. Not by His own sin. He's then sacrificed for us and faces the punishment of sin for us and dies on our behalf for us. But three days later, He raises again and He shows us His power over sin and death. And He does this so that when we trust in Him, that we can be rescued from slavery. We can be rescued from the cruel tyranny of the sin that so wrecks our hearts, that sin that is in you and I. We were slaves to sin, and yet God, in his compassion and mercy, comes down and rescues us. We were not deserving of this rescue. We did not help Him in rescuing us whatsoever. If we helped in any way, we helped by providing the sin that made it necessary for us to be rescued. Out of the deep compassion and overflowing love for His people and His glory, He rescues us from our sin. And He frees us and reconciles a sinful people to a holy God. So why do we obey God? What we're seeing and what we're understanding is that we obey God because He is the one who rescued us from slavery. And because He rescues us from slavery, He puts the parameters on what we do and don't do. This is why Paul tells the church, this is why he's telling us in the 21st century, put off the old self and put on the new self. Because we have been rescued. The old self is not who we are anymore. That is not who you are if you are in Christ. You are not your old self. In fact, Jesus even tells us those who enter the kingdom of heaven, they must be born again. And Paul pulls back the curtain for us and he shows us what Jesus means here. What Jesus means here is that not just are we born again, but that we are a totally new creation. When the Spirit comes into you, the old is gone, the new has come, and you are a completely transformed person. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The old is gone. And behold, the new has come. What Paul is saying is that the old self is dead. Your old self is dead. Whoever you previously were is dead a drug addict, dead, an alcoholic, dead, an angry cynic, dead, a gossip, dead, a porn addict, dead, a thief, dead, in Christ, that is no longer you. You are no longer an enemy of God, but a son, a daughter, a saint, Please hear what I'm trying to say right now is that you are no longer your old self if you are in Christ. But instead, you are a new creation. And because you are a new creation, that means you have new desires. New affections. This is one of the true realities of being born again, of being a new creation. That you desire the things that you once did not desire. You have affection and longing for God to love Him, to obey Him. You have longing, and affection to love your neighbor just as Jesus loved his neighbor. The born-again person desires to obey God because God has rescued them from slavery. It may be imperfectly. It may be slow. But the desire is put deep into our souls. That we cannot shake. No matter where you try to run or hide, the Spirit in His graciousness tracks you down, convicts you, helps you, comforts you. This is why I feel so much pity for those who are caught in the spider's web of religion. They feel conviction for their sin, but no desire to obey God. They feel a sense of guilt for not obeying God. And then in the areas they do, it's begrudgingly. the religious person drags their feet along saying, I guess I have to do this. And yet, strangely, on the other hand, there is this desire to indulge sin, but knowing that it's not the right thing to do. So they're caught in this catch-22 where they begrudgingly follow God, but desire the things of the world. They're caught in a miserable web of lies and deceit, believing that if they are just good enough, moral enough, that they are able to get out of that web. If this is you, If you this morning are caught in the spider's web of religiousness, trust in Christ who is able to pluck you from the web before it is burned up. He is able to rescue you. When Jesus talks about his yoke being easy and light, this is what he means. He means that when you are born again, a new creation, you desire to take off the old self. There are new emotions and affections and desires that cause you to long after God. So let me ask you this this morning. Are you a new creation? Putting off the old self. Putting on the new self. Do you desire to follow Christ? At this point, some of you may be thinking, but this is Paul speaking, not Jesus. I desire to follow Jesus. But Paul is the one in our passage who is talking this morning. Jesus is the Son of God. Paul is just a man. If I can just quickly say, Paul, he is an apostle. And what apostles do is they explain Christ's teaching. So what we could say this morning is that Paul is explaining to us what Jesus meant when he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Paul is helping us understand a little bit of what that denying ourselves look like. So just as God spoke to Moses and told Moses, on how Israel was to obey God as a new nation, now the apostles help the church know how to obey God and live in the new life. Paul is helping us know how to live in this new life. Our passage teaches us five different ways we walk in new life. As our affections and desires are to long after obedience to God, our passage teaches us five ways to walk in obedience. The first is we put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. What this teaches us is that the person walking in new life no longer desires to lie and he gives up that habit to pursue telling the truth. This, I believe, is one of the fundamental marks of a person putting off the old self and walking in the new self, walking in the new life. And I say this because Scripture clearly tells us that God does not lie. He doesn't. So when you lie to your husband or wife about the finances, or you just tell a little fib about your taxes, or you lie to your parents or friends, this means that you are not putting on the new self of God. You're lying is a direct contradiction of who God is and the new creation that you are to walk in. So instead, we must be living as truth-tellers. We must live as truth-tellers, even if it means that you might lose your job. We must be truth-tellers, even if it means that you may disappoint your husband or wife or parents. Here's one more place that we need to be truth tellers. We must be truth tellers to one another. If we see one another putting on the old self, we need to remind that person, you will not find life putting on the old self. Brother, sister, put on the new self. If your hand had a huge rusty nail in it, wouldn't you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't lift up your hand, look at your hand and say, I see the rusty nail. I see the blood. I feel the pain. Hand, there is no rusty nail there. You wouldn't tell yourself that, would you? So why lie to a person in the body of Christ to put on the new self is to tell the truth second be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil what paul is telling us here is that anger it's a natural emotion be angry However, if left unchecked, it gives an opportunity for Satan to do great damage. Think about God's advice to Cain before he murders Abel. Does he tell Cain to not be angry? Well, no, he he actually asks Cain, Why are you angry? Why are you downcast? Be careful! Rule over your heart because sin is crouching at the door. This is teaching us that anger is a natural emotion that comes out of our hearts. However, we must deal with our anger quickly because if we do not, it will fester When you are angry and then you start to think and think some more and think a little bit more about what's been done to you. And as you think about what's been done to you, that monster in your mind only continues to grow bigger and bigger. And you start to think different things about the person that has angered you to a point where your anger then controls how you think, how you judge, and how you react towards that person. So when someone in the church belittles you, go to them. Talk out what has happened. Because the worst thing that can happen is that your anger festers and grows to a point where you blow up. Parents, is your child sinning? Don't turn a blind eye in ignorance only for later in the day to scream and holler at them because they sinned again. Don't let your anger fester or go unchecked in your heart. If you're at the workplace deal with it, pray, confess, seek understanding, meditate on God's justice and God's anger. Because if you don't, you may just bring that anger home and unleash your frustration on those you care about. Putting on the new self means dealing with your anger. Three, let no thief no longer steal, or let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Paul is teaching us that the one who steals should get a job so that they are able to contribute to those outside and inside the church. What Paul is doing right here is he's actually using work as a motivation to love your neighbor to put off the old self, can you not help but steal? Then what this is teaching you to do is to work hard and long hours and then give what you have worked so hard for. Putting on the new self means not stealing, but actively contributing to those outside the church and especially to those inside the church. For Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. We are being taught that our words matter. How do you speak to others? How do you speak about others? Are you cautious in what you say and how you say it? Are you conscious with the filter that is in your head? Husbands and wives, how do you speak about your spouse to others when your spouse is not around? Is it in a way that builds them up? Or is it in a way that tears them down? How do you speak to those who are at your workplace? How do you speak about your boss? Brother, sister, how do you speak to and about those who are in this church? Are you prone to gossip and slander? What this is teaching us is that we should use our words to build each other up, to give and quite literally... Impart courage to one another. So text. Call. Write a letter. Go up to a person after the service and tell them that you are proud of them and that you see them walking faithfully in this area of the Christian life. If you hear a story of somebody being courageous to evangelize, take that moment to tell them they did a great job and to keep up the work. If you see a parent respond in a loving and gracious way, take time to tell that parent, good job. Parents, if you see somebody in the church interacting with your child in a kind and compassionate way, go out of your way to go up to them and tell them. This is how Jesus would have interacted with children. Thank you for setting an example. Let's not aim to flatter one another. Flattery is a sin. Let's stay away from flattery. But we should take every Opportunity that we possibly can to honor one another when we have the opportunity to honor. Putting on the new self means using our words wisely to build one another up and impart courage to one another rather than tearing one another down. Fifth, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is telling us and teaching us to take a posture of forgiveness because just as God has forgiven you of your innumerable sins, you now are to forgive others. God has forgiven you. Do you believe that? How then do you show that forgiveness to others? A person who has unforgiveness in their heart is a bitter person who has stored away malice and wrath. Does that person at work disgust you to the point where you need to avoid them? When that person in your family talks, do you just have to leave the room? Then that is a clear indication of some form of bitterness, anger, and wrath that is stored in your heart. Paul is teaching us to live in such a way that our lives are marked with gentleness, just as our Heavenly Father has been gentle, kind, and gracious to you and I. Putting on the new self means pursuing kindness and forgiveness just as you have been forgiven. True Christianity is not just learning a lot of information and then talking about the theoretical what-ifs that it presents. True Christianity is learning from Christ and the Scriptures and then applying. It's a heart change. The, The person who has truly experienced God desires to obey God as imperfectly and as slow as it may be at times. This is the type of life that should mark Your life as a Christian, my life as a Christian, and our life as a local church. Because if it doesn't, there are two possible warnings. The first possible warning is that you may not be born again. You may not have truly experienced the wonderfulness of Christ. You may not have actually tasted and seen that the Lord is good. But the other warning that Paul speaks of here. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. If we give in to the old self and we do not learn from Paul's instructions here, we will grieve the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is a person, what Paul is saying is we will actually make the Holy Spirit sad. Sad. This sadness very well may lead us into a type of spiritual depression. We should do what we can to walk in step in the newness of life. But before I finish this morning, please know this. If you have grieved the Holy Spirit, or in God's graciousness, He is showing you different ways that maybe you have fallen here and you are feeling the sense of conviction. Please understand and know that not all is lost. Turn back and repent. Do you see how Paul still acknowledges in his warning that the Spirit seals you for the day of redemption? This is God's kindness. This is God's kindness for you and I to lead us to repentance. So rejoice. Do not feel the condemnation, but instead rejoice that God is not finished with you yet. Church, there is no other option. There is no other way for us to walk. God has made it clear for us on how He wants us to walk. He's not keeping us in the dark. He's not changing up the rules on us. We are told right here what it looks like to walk in the newness of life. We are shown what it looks like to walk In the old life, we are shown what we must put off and we are told what we need to put on. So let us trust God and walk in our new life. Let's pray. Be gracious to us, God, for we constantly fall short of your glory. And we praise your wonderful name that you have sent Jesus to reconcile us and to bring peace with your Father. Help us to walk in the newness of life. Help us to be sensitive to your Spirit. We pray this in your Son Jesus' name. Amen.